Hello, people. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. Uh, this is episode number 68, and it's part number nine of our series, uh, Setting the Bible Free. And today we are sitting down with the man, the myth, and the legend, uh, Doug Paget, to talk about his latest book, uh, Outdoing Jesus. Uh, what the heck does that mean? Well, you you are about to be in the know, and uh, believe me, the know is a good place to be because this is a fantastic book. Uh, I'm not going to say anything about it right now because he's going to tell us about it, but it is some good, good stuff. I'm looking forward to sharing this uh, talk with you. Uh, a couple things before we go into that. Uh, number one, the What If Project is on Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject. So, if this thing has encouraged you, inspired you, challenged you, pushed you in your faith, uh, please consider heading over there to support the show. Uh, Patreon is a place where you can support it uh, financially. So anywhere from $3 a month all the way up to $30 a month. Uh, anything in between, every tier has its own reward, uh, whether it's a bonus blog post, a bonus podcast episode, a book I mail you in the mail, all sorts of things, all sorts of goodies. Everybody gets something. Uh, but thank you so much to those of you who are supporting the show. There's 25 of you, and uh, I cannot thank you enough for your love, for your support, uh, for your encouragement. It means the world to me uh, and to my family as well. So thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, secondly, What If Project has a, a closed Facebook group uh, called the What If Project Community. So this is a place, this is a wild place. We have 125 people who are part of this group, and it's just a, a, a bunch of people, all different walks of life, various ages, various experiences. Everybody comes in there and just shares where they are with God, shares their ideas, shares their thoughts, their struggles, their doubts. Nobody shames anybody. Nobody pushes their thoughts on anybody. Everybody's open, uh, honest, sharing, validating each other, pushing each other forward, uh, cheering each other on. This is If you are in a place where you're like, I don't know what I believe about God, uh, you got to get in this community because you will be encouraged uh, and you will be loved on. Everybody is welcome there no matter who you are, where you are, what you think. Uh, you are welcome to come in there and just be you. So the link to that um, as well as Patreon will be in the show notes. And lastly, some special music today. Um, this guy is somebody who... I guess you could say he's a friend of a friend, and uh, I came across him on online. His name is Will uh, Rutherford, and uh, he wrote a brand new song, and the song is called Take Pride. And I was going to read like his bio to you, but I'm just going to shut up and let this song play a little bit. And uh, then at the end of the episode, after me and Doug are done talking, I'm going to let the song play the whole way through. Uh, this is an anthem. Uh, of encouragement specifically for LGBTQ people, but for anybody who has been pushed down, outcast, and made to feel like they don't matter. Uh, let this song speak to you. It is beautiful. Uh, all of that said, like I said, I'm going to be quiet. Let's roll the tape, listen to a segment of the song, and then we'll jump in and we'll talk to our friend, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Doug Paget. Enjoy. When you've been Cast out when you are filled with doubt. There is hope past pain that carries the weight of shame. There's a place of rest 
everybody. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. Uh, it is a good day for you to be here because I'm sitting down with my friend, uh, Doug Paget to talk about his new book, Outdoing Jesus, Seven Ways to Live Out the Promise of Greater Than. So Doug is an activist, uh, pastor, writer, I would say public theologian of sorts. Uh, Doug, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. It's really my honor, my friend. Nice uh, thank you. you. Thank you. So Doug, I first came across your name in a book. Uh, that you put out a while ago called Reimagining Spiritual Formation. Which oh, was about my favorite your, book. Yeah. Yes, it was about your church, Solomon's Porch. I went to a uh, seminary and uh, my MDiv was in church development. So that book was probably a go-to book in pretty much every paper. <laughs> so wow. thank you. Thank you for all the material that you gave me. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was a while ago. I, don't know, I, th- I guess maybe 2005 or six. I think so. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I started just a, life, just a lifetime ago in so many ways. Yeah, I started 2005 and I remember it just came out and I picked it up and it's got dog ears and highlights and underlines and notes. <laughs> <laughs> it is a game changer for me. So uh, Doug has uh, had a hand early in the formation of the What If Project. Uh, Doug, you might remember, I think it was last year's Wild Goose Festival, you were doing this uh, like live recording of your podcast and you were bringing up people to kind of talk to you about their podcast. And mine was like in the very early brainstorming stages and you brought me up there and we talked a little bit and uh, I always just wanted to thank you because that was a very, I I would say sensitive time in my life and you were very encouraging and you kind of gave me the courage to kind of go for it. So uh, here we are over a year later and you're joining me. So thank you. Well, and thank you for actually doing it. You know that I, I I remember that moment. Uh, I remember it well and you, we asked people in the audience, the live audience, if they were thinking about starting something or a podcast. And you raised your hand and, and came up and said, you know, hey, I'm, this is something I'm thinking about, which is kind of risky, right? A lot of times yeah. the, biggest risk, the biggest risk for a lot of us is that first public statement saying out loud, I want to do something. I want to do this thing. Because you, all of a sudden you feel like that all those internal narratives, all that internal talk. You just used your outside voice, you know, yep. and now here you are uh, saying it out loud. And, you, and strangely, I, mean, I don't know if you felt accountable to anyone there. I wouldn't imagine you did. But for a lot of us, you start feeling accountable to yourself once yeah. you say something out loud, right? It sort, of, it sort of moves into a different place in your life and kind of resides outside of you for the first time, right? When you're kind of public about something. So, and a lot of people can't move forward with that. And I'm just mm. really, really proud of you and think it's great that you did. And Thank Thanks you. for the podcast. Yeah, thank you. It was uh, there's definitely there were a lot of people who were there that day, and I still actually talk to them today, and uh, <laughs> we kind of hold each other accountable. So <laughs> it was a good moment for sure. Good. So uh, today, Doug, I want to pick your brain about this book. Uh, we don't obviously want to give away all of the the secrets and all of the gems, of course. <laughs> but um, I read it and I loved it, and I want to hear you talk just about a couple of pieces that really struck me. But before we do that, uh, for people who maybe don't know you, don't know what you do. Uh, who is Doug Paget? Well, isn't that the question I've been pursuing right? my whole life? <laughs> there yeah. you go. I want you to sum it all up right here. <laughs> yeah, there's the deep. There's the deep question. Who am I? I okay, so I I do live in Minneapolis, uh, the area around Minneapolis. I live in a first ring suburb. Called is it cold there? Of Minneapolis, <clears throat> it is cold. It's uh, I don't know, maybe 31 degrees outside right now. This is that's easy for you November, guys, though, right? November 9th. I'm gonna go on a bike ride. I've gonna have my bike. Uh, an arm's reach away from me. So I'm going to bundle up in winter gear and okay. uh, and go for a 30 mile bike ride today. Um, 
Yeah. So I, so I live here. I'm married to, to Shelly. We've been mm-hmm. together for, um, I mean, all of my adult life. Um, we met in high school and uh, have been together ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, we have four children, all, all adults now. Uh, we got married young, had kids young, and uh, that's, been, that's been really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I pastor a church here that I started, the one that I wrote about in that Reimagining Spiritual Formation book uh, called Solomon's Porch. That was 20 years ago, hmm. and uh, I'm, I'm winding up my time in that role uh, and uh, starting the transition out of, that, out of that role and that life. And what are you going to be doing now? Well, I'm not entirely sure long-term what it's going to okay. be, but I have, um, after the election of Donald Trump, uh, that, that next morning, you know, on the, I guess it was the, the 9th of, of uh, November, I sort of dedicated myself to doing what I could to try to rectify the situation of how mm. many religiously motivated people felt that their only option was to support a candidate like Donald Trump. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of people don't care a lot about um, presidential politics and it's not really their thing. And they just, they, they see it as kind of running parallel to their life and they don't understand mm. why some of us become fixated on it. Sure. Um, but I have become fixated on it for reasons that I think really are important and matter. Yeah. Uh, so I've dedicated myself and, and it's not just my personal opposition to Trump. I, I don't feel myself to just be a political operative. Um, uh, I'm really concerned that the, the people of faith in this country and all, all of the faiths, but especially in the Christian faith, um, don't have a better story to tell. Uh, in such a way that that the uh, you know white evangelicals, white Catholics, uh, white Protestants could be so easily um, uh, aligned with an administration that is so contrary <clears throat> to goodness and to love and to faith and to hope. Mm. And I think it's just a just an uh, it's a it's an intersection of personal life, faith, commitment, and public engagement. Hmm. And um, for most people, their the, their biggest political act is their vote. Hmm. Now that's a that's problem that's problematic and it's or problematic in its own sense. You know, <laughs> the, the biggest the most engagement uh, most of us have is is that we you know, hitting a button in, in the while. voting booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of those votes feel like they're um, a lot of times when you vote, it feels like it's sort of. Um, you're just you're just choosing from options that that don't seem really great for you anyway, mm. you know. So it's a pretty it's a pretty depressing and benign uh, uh, sensibility. So anyway, I, I want to engage uh, people of the Christian faith, especially white evangelicals, to do something about it. Mm. And um, it's been going the other the other direction for the last ten years in a dramatic turn that more and more people of deep religious faith and especially if you know sort of from the 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 traditions and the tribe that i come from where you think a lot about your own personal faith you think about the bibles and its um contribution to your world and to your life as a you know as a a catalog of the faith that you hold Mm. Uh, if you have a personal connection with god in in jesus kind of storyline which i do Mm. um for people uh in those spaces to uh, have their their greatest political engagement be, I think I'm going to support um, someone who says, does, and, and behaves in the way that, uh, that the Trump administration does. And, and first and foremost, the way Donald Trump personally does hmm. I want to do something about that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's personal for me to get into it, but actually it's not, it's, I don't have a personal animus to Donald Trump. I, mean, yeah. I think he's totally out of his league. Uh, I, I truly do believe that everyone is the light of the world and hmm. the salt of the earth. 
and the beloved child of God, uh, you know, un- unequivocal and without condition. Hmm. Uh, but not every light of the world and salt of the earth should be the president of the United States. And yeah. this, this is someone who most certainly should not be. And we need to free him up so he can go do whatever full life and spiritual work he needs to do to, to be the full person he can be and stop creating such havoc and damage on this country. Hmm. Um, so, so I'm committed to that for the next, uh, you know, for the next 350 some odd days uh, through <laughs> yeah. November 3rd, 2020. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a, and, and for me, I mean, a lot of ways people have said, and I hear this on Facebook and stuff all the time. People will, will say like, man, what's happened to you? Like I used to read your stuff and I liked it. And now you're just like this rabid uh, anti-Trump guy. Like what is, you know, what, why'd you give up on, you know, the good things you were up to? And, and I get it that people could see that, hear that. and say that. Uh, For me, it just feels so congruent. You know, um, Mm. the stuff we wrote about in reimagining spiritual formation back in 2005, the stuff I wrote about now doing Jesus, the work I've done as a public theologian, like this, this is where love God, love your neighbor, love your enemies, you love yourself. For me, uh, it comes into play. So Mm. to me, it's, it's totally congruent. And to other people, they're just like, what has gone on with that guy? Yeah. Uh, You know, something's eating Gilbert grape over there and (laughs) can't really figure out, figure out what that is. Um, Uh, so I spend a lot of time trying to, um, articulate for myself and organize around the country. So vote common good is the name of the organization. We are, uh, a, a, a national organization that's going to tour the entire country mm. working in the media and on the ground to invite people to deepen in their faith if they're of the Christian faith and yeah. to let that deepening of their faith drive them to, um, participate in the common good with, with their vote and with their civil action and engagement. So, mm. and I do, I do a number of other, uh, of, you know, like you mentioned, uh, activist-oriented things. I'm, I'm an anti-death penalty activist. I'm, I'm an anti-gun activist. Hmm. And uh, kind of violence on the whole, uh, yep. I'm, I, try, I try to work work uh, for and against. But primarily, it's been in the religious uh, the religious communities and the religious sub-communities of this country. You know, I've come across some people who have said, like, who have known you from, like, you know, back in the early 2000s. Like, I've heard of your... I read some like your book and some of the articles you've written and I've heard people say like, what happened to this pageant guy? Like he's not, you know, he's not what he used to be. And I'm like, actually, like if you go back and you read that book and you read his articles, like he's always been about this. And like, now this is a moment in the world where um, it's on the main stage, you know, violence and this poor rhetoric and the way people are being treated. And I said, he's just using this platform that really has been built under him for the last however many years and he's using it and I think he's doing what he should be doing. So, well, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, there's days where I, where I wonder, you know, uh, the ability for all of us to self uh, self deceive is really mm-hmm. high. Yeah. You know, we, um, the, the narratives that we tell ourselves uh, shape, shape our view of ourselves in the world. And, mm. you know, you sort of wonder, and, and um, you know, I take, I've always taken critique really seriously. Mm. Um, I, I don't know that I've always responded to it, you know, in, in every way that I'm, that I'm proud of, but, uh, I, I, I take the, the other voice, you know, that's, that's been a big piece of my, my work on, on Christian spirituality is that it's a collective communal activity hmm. at the same time that it's a personal experience. Hmm. And, uh, I've really valued the input of others, especially of the, of the left out, the left behind, hmm. um, the let down that, that say something. And so I, I really do take all the, all those kinds of critiques seriously. And I think we, I think we all, we all benefit when we listen to somebody who, 
who says uh, to us um, in whatever context, you know, uh, hey, you've, you, you just you really have this, this uh, all turned around and all knotted up or all backward. Hmm. Um, that's, that's sort of the, the, the heart of, of Christian spirituality, right? That you're, you're, you're shown the places where you're all knotted up and you're able to let that all free. Yeah. sort of step into that step into the next place and most of us don't have the ability to free ourselves right mm. that's um uh and even if we think we freed ourselves if you sort of were to i don't know kind of reverse engineer that decision that thought that pattern change mm. you'd, you'd find the influencers and the voices and the, the helpers that brought you along to this point that's good and, uh, so yeah yeah and and that's that's partly why I, I come from this evangelical tradition i was i was wasn't raised in religion yeah and I got Thank into you. it when I was a, a late teenager hmm. and um, I'm really grateful that there were people sort of out in the world saying to people like me, Hey, there's another story you can enter into if you want to. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that, that religion wasn't, wasn't um, kept as a, as a personal experience for an insider baptized only or, you know, confirmed only group. Yeah. that it was seen as uh, people saw themselves in the world that I was in as a steward of another story they wanted to invite people to join. Yeah. And I really have appreciated that. It fits my temperament too. That's probably you know, one of the reasons I appreciated it back when mm. I was a teenager. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like we should all, we should all be that way, uh, you know, to the degree that that's, that that's available to us and, 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 and we're able to, is to really, you know, lean into the story that we have to offer uh, for people um, and, and, you know, the, the, the big question, I, I know I'm totally on a tangent, but you know, no, go for it. Um, the, the big issue for a lot of us is, um, especially those of us who are in the more progressive spaces is that we don't want to use coercion, like mm. human agency. And the fact that a person should be able to choose for themselves without being under duress or threat is really important. Mm. Um, it's an important part of a person's, uh, own uh, sense of self and recognizing the the humanity, the full humanity that, that we all possess mm. is to not put people under duress or, co or coercion. And that's the hard part when you're uh, for a lot of people about any kind of like religious outreach or evangelism or talking to others uh, about things as close and personal as life and faith and the internal story you tell yourself. Um, we, we aren't very good at knowing how to do it with open arms with mm. softness and sensibility, but also with a firmness and presence where you can fully offer to people to move forward without um, feeling like you're somehow, uh, you know, critiquing, condemning, or, or uh, threatening. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big thing. And I think, I think we need to all get better at it, you know, yeah. because, because right now the problem isn't only that some of us are being, way too quiet which is a problem well, I'm mm. being way too quiet but other people are using coercion and threats and punishment <laughs> uh to to bring people to the perspective that they want to hold so so that's that's all kind of part of the package of and that's what this book outdoing jesus is about. yeah you know it's, i was gonna say that's like a perfect segue because in all of those things we need to outdo jesus <laughs> yeah so uh the title of the book like you said outdoing jesus um at first, I thought to myself, that's a pretty gutsy title because who in the world can outdo the Son of God? But you make the case very early on in the book um, that Jesus, this is really what Jesus has always intended for his followers to do. So 
Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like, what does it look like for the everyday person to outdo Jesus? Like, what's this book about? Yeah, it, it really is trying to, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of authors do this or people will say, hey, look, you know, this wasn't my idea. This was this phrase that you should outdo Jesus. This was, you know, Jesus's idea. Sure. And I really do think it is. I think right. it's Jesus's big, big idea. Right. And I'm so glad you used that phrase. Who could, who could outdo the son of God? Because that's the heart of it all. Mm. I think Jesus's primary message includes that we sh- should recognize Jesus as the son of God so that we can recognize one another as the brothers and sisters in the family of God. Mm. The whole reason to see Jesus as the son is so we see ourselves as part of the same family Mm. that what we should see Jesus as in Jesus's imagination and the way the gospels put this together or the Jesus that's presented to us in the gospels, at Mm. least, and especially in the gospel of John, which is what this book is rooted on is the, the narrative in the gospel of John is that we see Jesus as the big brother of humanity. Mm. And to the degree that we can't see that in Jesus uh, is the degree to which we find it hard to see it in in one another. Mm. And so I'm trying to actually elevate the notion of Jesus as the son of God for its implication, not in some theological term of an economy that is going to you know, have a reckoning with God about how our intentions are, about what our beliefs and thoughts were, Hmm. but rather um, does it push us forward to live with one another as if we're all children in the family of God. Hmm. And that's the, that's the big notion, right? So, so John begins with this, with this um, wonderful creation story, this origin story, much the way we were talking about the origin of this podcast, you know, like where it came from and who was Hmm. around and, how it got there like that that story that we told at the beginning here about you know you were thinking about something and you ran into some people and you went to something at, at wild goose and, and uh i chatted with you and then other people came around and they all kept yeah. it together you start to realize like that's not a technical story about how you started a podcast right that's not the like here's the software i use yeah here's the here's the the, the, the microphone the, daily, yeah. the microphone the daily rhythms you yeah. know here's how i line up guests it's none of the technical stuff, but it's all the origin. It's all the people origin story. Yeah. Right. So it's like, here were the people and here's what I was thinking about. Here's what I was up to and here's how it came to be. Right. Well, that's what both the Genesis creation story is like. It's not a technical story about what makes up trees and birds and, mm. and grass and oceans. It's about a people narrative of how did we get here? And what are we up to? And what's the what's the project that we're about? Hmm. And so that story, you know, starts Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve have children, and they all become the sons of the fathers, right? It's a hmm. patriarchal narrative, from sort of top to bottom, Cain and Abel, and then they marry two women. Who, in, interestingly, in the, in the Genesis story, there's no indication about where the where the women came from. Right? right. <laughs> They're just in the story all of a sudden, right? They just like disappeared, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. You know, it's like that kid in sixth grade in Bible class when they're like, Hey, what now? Where did they come from? Right. Um, but that's the whole point, right? Is it's mm. not about that. It's, it's, it's about how did we get here as an us, not uh, what were the details of how we get. So it's telling an origin story. Yeah. So it follows a patriarchal narr- narrative <clears throat> and then, then it, it kind of creates these tribes and clans and chosen peoples and the people who are good for the people. Then you get to the gospel of John, which introduces Jesus. 
And, you know, I write about this a bunch in, in the book, Outdoing Jesus, but John is different than the other Gospels in mm. structure, in design, in, in message. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Gospel of John. And in that creation story, at the beginning of John, it, it matches, parallels, harkens to the Genesis story. Where the Genesis story is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in John, it's in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the mm. word was God. And then it follows and it does this wonderful little moment where it says, um, to all who believed him, he gave them the right to become children of God, mm. children born not of a husband's decision or of human will, but born of God. And I think what John is doing is providing an alternative narrative to the patriarchal narrative out of Genesis, which was all about husband's will, who your father was, who you came from. And the Gospel of John says, no, this is an invitation to recognize yourself as a part of the full family of God, not mm. in a patriarchal narrative, not born of a human downline, but born of God. And Jesus is presented as the son of the family of God. Mm. Right. So it's this fully inclusive narrative right from the start. And then everything in John, including the, you know, the John, the John 14, uh, I'm the way, the truth and the life, the, the John 316 for God so loved the world. All of those famous uh, are all about full inclusion of everyone in the family of God. Mm. And so that's that's how I think about um, this, this super important um storyline that we find ourselves in, uh, hmm. in in the gospel of john so all of that to say right yeah uh, outdoing jesus is the point when you're inside the family narrative hmm. because jesus is not presented to us as the miraculous exception but rather as the magnificent rule hmm. and as this is what humanity can look like and i believe that the gospel of john is structured following this creation narrative with seven create with seven miraculous signs that serve the same function as the seven days of creation in the Genesis narrative. Mm. So I think it's intentionally paralleled that way. I think that's how it's supposed to move and how it's supposed to go. So then what we see is if what's happening in the storyline of Jesus is that there's a vision for this new way of humanity that God is calling humanity into mm. and then this becomes the creation story narrative of this and these miraculous signs are intended to be that way so when mm. jesus says those who believe in me will do the works i'm doing and do even greater works than these this is jesus's big idea that you will do even greater works than the signs that jesus has just completed and is clearly referencing when he says that which are mm. the seven miraculous signs in John. And in the Gospel of John, there's only seven signs, and they're different than the, uh, in all the other Gospels, uh, either in whole or uh, mm. if they match any part of the other Gospel miraculous signs, they're told so differently with a different uh, point and output. Mm. So anyway, that's, the, that's what I think is going on. And, I, and I, what, what I'm trying to do with the book is not take Jesus down a notch or two. Mm. You know, I'm not trying to take away the divinity of Jesus. I'm trying to inspire us to recognize the divinity in all of us as children in the family of God. That's so good. It, it, when you're talking, it, it makes me think that like, it's almost like John is uh, in his story, knocking down walls that were built in Genesis or maybe expanding the table, so to speak, to include everyone. Whereas at one time it was only meant to include some. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be real gentle on that, right? Because the, 
I think there's a way in which the early Mesopotamian narratives that you see in Genesis, that the way <clears throat> Genesis was written would have functioned in much the same way then, right? Mm -hmm. That um, uh, the way people thought about the world and others and ins and outs, the book of Genesis creation narratives have a very inclusive and expansive uh, storyline to them. Mm. Uh, what happens is that in religion, over you know, three, four, five thousand years of development that take you from when those words were written um, in the Jewish, in, in Hebrew, and early Judaic story, that it brings you all the way through uh, to the time of Jesus, mm. you, you have all the add-ons that, you know, people who are Christian today recognize all the add-ons that got put into the Christian story yeah. by, by, by faithful people trying to do the best they could to make religion make, make sense. Yeah. And some people doing some things that were pretty dastardly, mm. um, to pervert the faith for their own purposes. They're both, they're both marbled together inside of this bread and, they they sit they, they they all sit there so uh i'm not trying to say that genesis was a worse idea necessarily mm -hmm. but i do think it's on a trajectory that wants to be fully inclusive and so and, and gets gets knocked off its its mm -hmm. uh, stand and so does uh, the book of john and a lot of us now are kind of living in that same period where we're like how did all these statements and teachings and life of jesus become so perverted into almost the opposite of what it means. Mm. You know, if, if John 14, which is where the phrase, those who believe in me will do the works I do and do even greater works than these, that's in this long set that includes the uh, Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Um, uh, how did we end up interpreting that as an exclusive statement when it's clearly an inclusive statement? Like, yeah. how does that, how do we literally get it opposite? Um, and why have we been told that? And how, how does that happen? So we can recognize how an inclusive story in the other faiths has also gets turned mm. on its head and becomes a, a, a mere image of itself um, because it's happened inside of the faith of a lot of us as Christians hold pretty dear. So maybe a better way for me to phrase that statement would have been, whereas Genesis was a very inclusive story throughout history, we added a bunch of stuff onto it and John kind of helps us chisel that stuff off to get back to yeah. the original understanding. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really some, and look, I, I mean, I know this isn't a conversation about the, the first Testament or the old Testament. Sure. Sure. The, the old Testament is a, it's not only an encyclopedia, it's not only a collection, mm -hmm. it's actually a big debate. Mm -hmm. So it's a debate between the prophetic voices and what I would, what I call, I wrote about this in a book called flipped, but it, uh, the prophetic voices of the story of Yahweh, and the more priestly voices and the temple oriented voices who would talk about God under the name of Elohim. Mm. So a lot of us know that there's many names for God in the old Testament. In fact, I had this poster when I first got into Christianity in 1983 is that 1983 is this black poster with all the names of God written on it. And I am in the middle, mm. you know, it would be all those, you know, Jehovah Jireh and Elohim and Yahweh and, you know, I can't even remember all of them now, but just a whole list of them, right? And, and it was, that was kind of an interesting poster to have out in kind of the Christian world too, because it sort of said to you that God goes by many names, right? Mm. Even inside the, even inside the Christian text. Yeah. But, but those names actually carry some significant meaning. So what you have in, in the Old Testament for Christians or the Bible for Jews 
what you have is this big raging debate, right? So you look at Kings and Chronicles, and it's mm. the same story told from two different sides of the family mm. about what happened. You have a, in Genesis chapters one, two, and three, you have two creation narratives. And those two creation narratives are in dialogue, discussion, argument with one another mm. about which one is the story. One base is around Elohim, one base is around Yahweh. You have the story of of Abraham with Isaac, and Abram uh, is raised in the land of his father under the under the god Elohim, mm. but then is called by Yahweh. Elohim calls him to sacrifice his son, and mm. Yahweh tells Abraham to not sacrifice his son mm. and to live into the new promise story, not into the Elohim story. So what you have in in the Old Testament is a debate going on. Now, Christians know something very similar, because if you read through the book of Acts and the letters of Paul, you know that there's an argument in that testament about Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. And do you, can you convert to Jude? Do you have to convert to Judaism uh, as a Gentile or can you stay a Gentile? And mm -hmm. that was a raging debate. And it's, it's what makes up the texture of the book of Acts and of the, of, of the writings of Paul. It's trying to it's trying to dialogue around that big debate. And Peter and Paul are on different sides of that. And the council in Jerusalem has one perspective and the and the the, the Judaizers have another perspective. Right. And, mm. uh, and some of the books in the old in the New Testament might be from the Judaizer side, say Jude and, and John, first and second John and Revelation. They might be Judaizer books and other ones are from the Paul side of the line. So there's a debate happening inside the text. Right. Mm. This is a really fascinating way to read all of this. And I think it's the only way to understand it. And frankly, not enough people talk about this stuff. Uh, I, haven't written, I, haven't, I haven't written so much about it either. But, but I think it's the context, right? So mm -hmm. what you have then in Jesus in the New Testament is Jesus siding with the prophets in the Old Testament mm -hmm. in contrast to the Old Testament priests and temple structure so is Jesus a prophet choosing the side of the prophets against the priests and the temple structure? Mm. So it's this continuous story where this argument carries over to the time of Jesus and frankly carries right into our day where we're still in the midst of a, basically an argument in the Christian religion between the priests and the temple structures yeah. and the prophets and the spirit of God that comes upon them all. And mm. those of us who root ourselves in the Jesus narrative also root ourselves in the, in the prophet's narrative. That's why Jesus has to say, uh, remember what the prophets said, mm. Yahweh desires mercy and not sacrifice. Mm. Jesus calls for a non-sacrificial system all the way through. Mm. And that's what's going on in our day. Now, like basically you can, you could lay, lay that on the, on the fundamentalist and non-fundamentalist discussion about Christian religion uh, in, in our day and basically see, oh, there's a temple sacrifice system on the one side yeah. and a freedom and a prophetic um, mercy of God's story on the other. And we're still having the debate. Hmm. All of that, way too much to say, Hey, nothing strange is happening to us. Here right. we go again, right? Yeah. This is our time to have our argument in yeah. our day and to put our point on it. And that's what I'm trying to do with this outdoing Jesus is to highlight that John clearly puts Jesus on the side of the 
um, you are the temple, the body is the temple. There's not a temple uh, somewhere. The temple's been destroyed, I think, by the time John, the Gospel of John was written. Hmm. So what Jesus is describing is a community of, uh, of human family of faith, not a religious temple sacrificial structure. Hmm. <clears throat> now, that was a whole chapter that got taken out of this book. but Oh, really? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and, it, and it revolves around Jesus's use of the phrase son of man. Yeah. Um, which in the translation that I like the most, the, the CEB, the, the common English Bible, it, it translates the word, the son of man as the human one. Hmm. And so how Jesus is presented is as the human one calling the family of humanity together. And you get hmm. that when you think about, and son of, son of God is, is fine too, right? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's okay because you know that, that, uh, Adam is called the son of God. So, and no, nobody sort of deifies Adam, right? That's not the point. Sure. Um, And then Jesus is presented, you know, by Paul as the second Adam that's come to bring about a a call for a new way of humanity. Hmm. So anyway, it's this huge theological debate from the old Testament. And so, uh, you know, was there an inclusive narrative and an exclusive narrative in the old Testament? Absolutely. Hmm. Was there an inclusive and exclusive uh, battle going on in the new Testament? Absolutely. Hmm. Is there, an inclusive and exclusive uh, narrative going on today. Yep. Because that's how it goes. Like humanity will never be done with this debate. We will keep having it over and over and over because every generation, every season will have to have the debate uh, new and new and fresh hmm. because frankly, the, the believing the gospel of Jesus that we're all part of the family of God in a non-sacrificial non-binary system <laughs> uh, uh, it, for some reason, it seems to go against the impulses of our own humanity that mm-hmm. wants to divide and separate and, and keep apart. I think that's such a beautiful way to understand the the narrative of the Bible, too, because, you know, I think if somebody's listening to this and they go back, ha- having listened to what you just said about this dialogue going on all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible, and goes back and kind of reread some of those passages, I think it brings a whole lot of other things to light just to, to see the dialogue going on between like you said, inclusive and exclusive. Uh, where is it that our world currently sits in that dialogue? Where are you going to find yourself in that dialogue? And then what are you going to do about it um, in terms of the, how you're going to move yourself through the world? I think that's such a powerful way to read the Bible as opposed to just, you're just a literal document that tells me what to do with my life. So right, and you start to find yourself then and you hear, start hearing Jesus say, Hey, they're going to treat me and they're going to treat you if you're in this, in this yeah. uh, version, the same way they treated the prophets. That's right. So yeah. he's, he, Jesus has this way of connecting all of that, all of that together into uh, as it was, so it is, and so it shall be. Mm. That whole way of, of being is to say, hey, here's the, here's the work we're a part of. Yeah. Because the, the, the prophetic voice, which a lot of us want to say Jesus has a prophetic voice or Jesus mm-hmm. is a rebel or Jesus is a, you know, he's a, he's a radical and all yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. A radical. Uh, like we're trying to say like a radical in reference to what? Mm. <laughs> and when you homogenize the Old Testament into, well, in the Old Testament, God murdered people. And in the New Testament, God doesn't. Like, okay. That's not, that's not accurate that's right. inaccurate to the point of being not helpful right yeah um what there is in the old testament is a big debate about what should we attribute to god and what should we be attributing to ourselves and um you know people are justifying their life and actions by er, and, and violent actions mm. um, all the time by their faith and religion but so were other people saying no this isn't the way it should go ever 
Mm. And that's the prophetic voice um, uh, that's that, that we're called into. So this is what we find ourselves doing uh, doing now. And so outdoing Jesus wants to take the, the, the miracles of John, the seven creation stories in yeah. John, which are these seven miraculous signs, and to suggest that people are um, doing and outdoing those miraculous signs in our day mm. uh, as they have in every day um, in some wonderfully uh, uh, powerful ways. So, mm. so that's what the, that's what the book tries to do is it tries to take those, uh, those miracles. And there's only seven of them. Uh, you know, it's the turning of water into wine. It's the healing of the young boy uh, who's got a fever and is going to die from a distance. It's the uh, man at the, at the pool who can't seem to get into the water in time for his healing to take place. Mm. It's the walking on it's the, the feeding of the thousands, the walking on water, the man born blind who's healed with the mud, and then uh, the calling from calling Lazarus from the grave. Mm. Those are the seven miraculous signs in John, and that's it. That's all there are. Um, there are there are other ones, and and the Gospel of John is so interesting, right? Because it tells you at the beginning and tells you at the end that these things have been written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, mm. and by believing you will have life in His name. Yeah. And it even has another caveat and says many other things did Jesus do and say that are not written in this Gospel, but these things were written for this purpose. Mm. So it it takes this like it's it just says right out of the shoot, right? I'm telling a story, including some things and not others, in order for there to be a particular outcome. Mm -hmm. The outcome being you would have life, you would live in the full life, you would live in the eternal life, and that comes by believing. Now, mm -hmm. now you know, because you've read the book, and this is not a giveaway, I think it's the, <laughs> I think it's the hook, the hook yep. of the book, yep. that this phrase believing and eternal life are really important in John. In fact, you can't turn a page through the Gospels or swipe down on your phone or an iPad without seeing the word believing or eternal life all over the place. Yeah, that was one of my questions for you because you have a really different approach to that than I've ever seen. <laughs> is that right? Yes. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it is. Uh, well, well, do you just want me to launch into it or do you want to say, do you want to ask me? Something? No, uh, that was going to be my question was about um, the word believe uh, in the Gospel because like you said, it's all over the place. And we typically, yeah. the way I've been taught in my upbringing was that means you need to believe the right things, you know, in order to mm -hmm. go to heaven when you die. And mm -hmm. I know now, like, you know, it's obviously much bigger than that, but the way that you explain it about how John uses, I believe only the verb as opposed to the noun. So I'm going to let you go into that, but uh, I'm excited. So go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so the word, the word, uh, um, in English, yeah. uh, we, we know that belief is a noun. It's a person, yeah. place, or thing, which I learned from Schoolhouse Rock. Yes. <laughs> um, and the word believe is a action word. It's a verb. Yeah. Well, it's the same in the language, in the Greek language that John is, is written in. So it's the pistus is the verb, believe, and pistis is the noun, belief. So a belief is something that you hold or, or can name or can look at, you know, it's the, it's the phone in your hand. It's the, it's your hand itself. Like it's yeah. this, it's this thing, but believe is, is an action. And the gospel of John uses the word pistus or believe the verb, I think 87 times mm. and uses the noun pistus or belief zero times. It never uses belief. 
So it only talks about believing, never about holding a belief. So it's basically talking about being on a path, a path of doing. So those who are on this path with me, Jesus says, those who do what I do will do even greater things than I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a doing uh, statement. He's not saying those who think the right things, those who hold the right belief, those who have captured the right essence and, and hold it and keep it and, and uh, uh, internalize it, mm-hmm. they get some sort of magical entrance. Right? Mm-hmm. The Gospel of John is really pushing against, I think, a, uh, a, a whole understanding of spirituality of the first century and of the 21st century called Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. And Gnosticism means special knowledge. Um, that's where we get our word knowledge from, is from, from Gnostic. And knowledge comes, the, the idea with Gnosticism is that those who hold the right beliefs or have a uh, 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 have access to some secret knowledge, they are the spiritual ones. Yeah. Well, Jesus in, in the Gospel of John is, is like, no, 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 it's not about <laughs> what you know. It's not about what you say. It's kind of like, literally, again, it's Freaky Friday, you know, opposite Friday of what people have been told. Right. It is not about having specialized belief. Hmm. It's about living in a way. Yeah. And then the word life and eternal life are really important because John uses it all the time, including those who believe uh, will have life and life in his name. Uh, And so life and eternal life are all over the gospel of John. And a lot of us were told and have been taught that eternal life basically means heaven when you die. But we know that eternal doesn't mean after. Eternal means without beginning and without end. Mm. So what Jesus is referencing is that those who live on the path, walk on the path, act on the path, they will join in on this everlasting path of life without beginning or without end. You mm. can't, you don't start it, you don't finish it, you didn't begin it, and you can't ruin it. So what is happening in this story of, uh, of, in the Gospel of John is that Jesus is presented as the one inviting people to live and to be live or believe on the everlasting path of life in which what Jesus inaugurates in the, in the seven days of creation story of new humanity and the seven mm. miraculous signs, we will then be on that path doing and outdoing these same works as we create and recreate a way of humanity moving forward. Mm. Now, if you were told that story, you feel you're sort of inside one narrative. If you were told, if I hold the right thoughts and the right considerations, then I get to go to heaven when I die. Yeah. That's a radically different story, right? So yeah. once again, two competing stories that, um, that are, are laying claim for our life and our convictions in our way. Mm. So talk to me then about, with all of that in mind, how do we read um, John 3.16? So if belief is not so much about holding on to this system or these doctrines or whatever, but it's more about the way that we're moving through the world. Uh, John 3.16 obviously says, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So for our listeners who are super familiar with that verse, and we've all been taught it, and it means one specific thing, talk to me about that verse in light of what you just said. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's what once you, if you put this um, version on it, 
right? Yeah. Uh, if you put this version I'm talking about, when when you start thinking, and I'm, I'm pulling up Johnny because I want to I want to get right. Yeah, yeah. The sentence, the sentence just before, but when you when you view it in this way, then what you begin to realize is that this idea of will not perish means um, will not fall off of the path uh, that brings about life, mm. right? It's not about perishing in an afterlife at all. There, there's just seemingly no, nothing in any of Jesus's statements or in the, uh, the gospel statements around Jesus that want to push this calling of God so loving the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe, whoever would verb mm. in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. There's nothing about that that's that's wants to say, oh, this is about afterlife. Mm. This is about what does it mean to be and to live like children of God. Mm. Um, so what? And, and so so the the three the John three sixteen right? It's this interesting uh, little moment, and it's fun for people to do this. If you open your Bible app or your Bible, a real b- deliberate question is. Is John 3.16, that verse, for God so loved the world, is that inside of the quote marks of Jesus's statement? In other words, is it in, if you have one of these Bibles, is it in red letters mm. or is it in black letters? Now, look, I, I don't think it matters. Um, I don't think there's more authority given to red letters than black letters sure. or anything like that. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I'm a part of a group called the Red Letter Christians where we care about Jesus' teachings. <laughs> I was going to just not, throw that in there, but I'm like, oh, maybe he'll say it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, that's not because we don't think that, you know, black words matter. Of course, right. black <laughs> words matter, right? <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> but we're just saying that, that so do the red letters and you should, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's more literary than, than literal. Right. Um, but so, so, what you, so what you hit here, right, is um, you, you run into this, uh, this wonderful, uh, story on. Sorry, I'm trying to try to throw up this. Uh, you, you you run into Jesus saying this really intriguing and interesting uh, bit. If you read the section just before, you know where it's Jesus's quote before he launches into "For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whoever did not believe in him, will shall not. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life." And then he keeps going, right? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him lives in him is not condemned, but whoever does not live in this way stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the light. Because here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of the lights because their own deeds are evil. And Mm -hmm. everyone who does evil and hates the light will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly. What they have done will be seen in the sight of God. Like all of it is present moment, right? So just first of all, like all of it is right here, right now. None of it is sort of, and then in some afterlife later, it's all about how are you living in this world right here and right now? Mm. Now look, for a lot of people, they have so so infrequently considered their own path of their life and how it's going. And the big shame of Christian religion that gives us this afterlife narrative is it basically tells us that only certain actions in this life matter. Mm. Do you believe or not believe, or do you hold the right belief or not? The right? That's the only thing that matters. Yeah. And everything else gets washed away by that. It's the big covering that lays over everything. It's the, it's the big problem with Christian atonement theory, which is not at all related to Jewish atonement theory. Mm. Um, we have an, we, you know, Christians have developed an atonement theory to just give them a, a whitewashed path 
or pass on, on, on all this stuff. But John 3.16 launches into this whole like, are you on the path now or are you not on the path now? And are your deeds, are your doings, are they about goodness or are they about harm? Hmm. Right? So what Jesus is saying is get on this path, do this new humanity, live in this way that does what all these miraculous signs show about how we live with empathy and inclusion and, and, um, and abundance and sharing and all of this, as opposed to on the path that brings about the opposite of that. Right. Paul brings up a very similar thing where he's like, here's the, here's the, the, the fruits of the spirit and the fruits of the flesh, right? It's mm-hmm. this kind of, this kind, but all of it again is um, very modern day, uh, modern day life. And when you read then the sentences just before 316, you know, 11 through uh, 15, then you're like, you hear Jesus saying, you know, I, I speak to you what I know and will testify of what I've seen, but people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things or of physical things and you don't believe how then will you believe what we talk about heavenly things or spiritual things. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into no one has ever entered heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man, or in other words, the human one, mm-hmm. just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So the human one must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life or be on the path that has no beginning and no end of wholeness and healing for this world. So all of this John 316 stuff, all the John uh, material is all really present day, but it hinges so deeply on what we think believe is and what we think eternal life is. Yeah. And if you believe, if, if you hold that it is right thought to a destination after death, you're in one story. And if you hold that it is life and action that puts you on the uh, path of life in the here and now you're into another story. Mm. Um, and look, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't think John talks a lot about uh, what happens to us after, after we die. I'm not talking about what, what happens to us after we die. I think there's a lot of great conversation and theory about that. Mm. What, but whatever that is, it's just not talked about in the gospel of John. Right. Like, this, is, this is the thing, like, right. It's, uh, it's just, it's just not talking about it. It's, it's not that. And I know that somebody's probably listening to this right now and are like, Oh my gosh, this guy is so full of shit. Like, on your, but Go for he's it. just so full of it. There's yeah. no, like, uh, they're like this person, you know, this pageant, he's, he's opposite Friday. You know, he's, right. he's telling the other story. It's, he's, he's bro- broken the whole thing apart. Um, uh, so, you know, and we, and we should have that debate, right? People should, uh, and, and when you do, you see, you see yourself in the great line of those from the first Testament, from the second Testament and from mm. uh, church history all the way through. Like this is, this is, this is what we do where, where uh, people are trying, are, are deciding, is this, is this Jesus's call for, um, for now, or is it for later? Now yeah. that's a little bit binary. It's a little blunt to put it like that because everybody likes to say, well, I think it's for both. Right. Um, uh, but you don't get to have, in my view, uh, you don't, you don't have a unity of thought when you have an, a story that is, well, it's for now in the living verb everlasting path story. Hmm. And it's also hold the noun. And then you get to go to the noun place called heaven. When you die, I just think it's both of those. Yeah. Um, look there, again, there might be hmm. a noun place called heaven that we go to when we die but you're just not getting that out of the gospel of john yeah i think too like when you you just talk about like all the the context around that one verse that we're 
so good at just pulling out and making it say this this one thing about the future. But if you look, like you said, about all, if you read it liter, literary instead of liter, literally, um, you really see that Jesus was talking about now, not later. So why would that one verse be about later? So I think if we take that verse and place it back into that context, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and, and look, and, and, I'm, and I'm all, I think that's really well said, and, and I want to amen it uh, over and over. Yeah. I'd also say, don't give away the literal reading here mm. too easily, right? Because the literal meaning of believe yeah. is a verb. Yeah. Like, don't, don't give it away to the, the people who want to turn John, any, God, any phrase in John into holding a belief. Yeah. They're doing something non-literal. Mm. right like yeah uh, um so it's it's curious like we we should be literal when we need to be literal of things like what the word means what we're talking about and we should recognize the literary use of the words when they're when we have the literary use and mm. sometimes those of us who are, are having to advocate that the bible is both literary and literal um are having to push so hard in the literary side that we we almost uh, give up on recognizing when there's something specific actually in the text going on and conservatives and fundamentalists and all have tended to um, uh, feel like they're the only ones who get to say what the Bible says, like the rest of us progressives or non-conservatives have to have to sort of move it into some imaginary fictional world. Mm -hmm. But actually, frankly, it feels like it's the, it goes the Opposite. other way around. Right? Right. Like if you get a conservative <laughs> theology out of reading the gospel of John, you have done some incredible <laughs> work, imagination and, yeah. and, and innovation. Like it mm. is, it is touche to you if you've, if you've managed that. But frankly, most people don't use the gospel of John for their uh, conservative theology. Mm. They might use a pull quote here and there, but they don't use the gospel of John itself because yeah. it's really hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's part of the reason why, why Christians in, uh, in all of all stripes, but especially conservative Christianity wants to teach you theology and doctrine as a way to understand the gospels. Because mm. if you don't come to it with a preconceived interpretive lens of conservatism, you, and you let the gospels speak for themselves, most people will end up with something that can't fit a conservative theological and dogmatic understanding mm. uh, uh, into it. So you have to do, and this is why conservatism has to be so rigid because you can't let enough space in there yeah. for the gospels to speak or even, or even the, the letters of Paul, you can't let those speak for themselves without a doctrinal interpretation laid over them. Mm. I was in a conversation with a, a pastor who's kind of famous in some worlds named John Piper, but we were in a conversation and he was pushing really hard on um, how important it is to be taught the Christian doctrines mm. so that you can interpret scripture. Yeah. Now look, that's a way to do it. I get it. I, I, I went to seminary and was taught a lot of that stuff too. Um, I don't know that that is the best way, uh, yeah. certainly not the only way. And I don't know that that's really a Christian way. I think that's a doctrinal way. I think mm -hmm. it's a, well, I, th I think a lot of things about, it. but, but you can't end up with those theological, like you could not end up with say Calvinism without first starting with Calvinistic thought as your interpretation 
yeah. and then go to the scriptures. You yeah. go to the scriptures and read any part of it all. Like without that, you're never going to end up with that conclusion at the end. Hmm. Now to Calvinists, they would say, well, yeah, I know. That's why we, we think it's important that people have this understanding of the world when they bring it to the scriptures, because this is really where salvation and, and Piper was very open to that. He's like, look, the church was given doctrines and, and teachings and creeds. Hmm. In fact, we were given that before the Bible was fully canonized. Hmm. So we are supposed to interpret the Bible through a theological lens. We are not supposed to come to the Bible uh, with whatever our culture has generally taught us about these words. Mm. We have to be Christianized in order to read the scriptures. Mm. So salvation doesn't come solely from you know reading the scriptures. It's from a proper reading of the scriptures or when they're preached properly or when they're properly discerned. Mm. So all that discernment world wants to tell you that there's a discernment lens you place on the scripture um, that helps you understand what it's saying and not the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes I get a little, I'm being, you can tell I'm being a little finicky here. When I hear the people who say, well, for me, it's all about the Bible. Like, <laughs> really? Right. I mean, uh, <laughs> fine if it is, but right. if it is, I think you're going to end up in a different place than if it's really, it's all about the Bible use. Uh, as a text that I've interpreted through a theological lens that was created um, for the purpose of understanding the Bible, mm. uh, the code. In other words, I've, right. I've, I've, I've laid a Morris code structure over it. So that's, that's a, a bunch of, of what's going on. And look, I'm not saying that I take the Bible clean or without an interpretive sure. lens. Every, yeah. Everybody Everybody's has got an interpretive it. lens. Yeah. Uh, um, but man, these, these doctrines and whether it's Calvinism or, any other theological system they're, they're not just an interpretive lens they are a bounded set mm. forced uh, uh, mold that is going to put the scripture into it uh, and anything that doesn't fit or is you know that doesn't quite uh, fit inside the mold will be given the category of mystery and we couldn't understand yeah uh, it's, um, so it's more than an interpretive lens doctrine mm. and, and, and all that stuff so good, Doug. So good. You gave me a lot to chew on. We've got other stuff to do today, don't we? Absolutely. But I think Probably. I speak for everyone and that you just blew my mind. So I have a lot to think about. Thank you. All right. Hey, right on, man. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, real quick, where can people go to find you online? Uh, uh, DougPaget.com. Okay. Are you on That's social media? All, all the places? All the links are there. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm under, under my name, uh, Doug Paget uh, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and those places yeah Paget on twitter Paget on twitter but and it's a it's a it's a singular enough last name that <laughs> there's not a lot if you if you spell it right you know p-a-g-i-t-t -T. perfect and where is the best place to go buy your book where's your it doesn't matter to me you know matter. amazon's fine for me bookstores are great okay. uh, i mean get get it before it goes out of print or before the the heretic uh uh um, tribunals find me and, and burn, before you burn get farewelled are you gonna get farewelled duck <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think i don't think he does a lot of farewelling anymore no he's, he's tucked, tucked away in tennessee somewhere i heard absolutely well thanks so much for coming on bud it was good to talk to you hey right on see ya all right bye, -bye.
Parents were taught 